This is the Wandering Berry Center podcast. I am your host, Brian. On the other side is Alex. Hey, everybody. I don't have any ramblings. Um, um, I have something to talk about. All right, sweet. All right, so I was at my buddy's house, which I mentioned to you before we started. Yep. And he now owns a farm, and I rode a horse. What? Mm-hmm. Cool. I've never... I've never ridden a horse. I've never sat on top of an animal <laughs> before. <laughs> Have you ever ridden one? No, I'm not even sure. I've been like close to horses, but I don't think I've mm-hmm. ever actually like touched a horse. So I'm not going to lie. Like kind of freaky, I bet. Kind of horses like whenever I've been up in close to with horses a number of times for whatever reason and they always kind of freak me out just because of how large they are and Ultimately, you don't know what it's thinking or planning, so anything could happen, right? Yeah, it's powerful enough to kill you, so it's totally. worth it's worth uh, considering. So, I, yeah, so whatever. So, uh, my friend's wife was riding her horse around. She's big into this, so that's part of why they bought this property. And so she, you know, asked if I wanted to ride, and so definitely going to say yes, but definitely was a little freaked out before I got up there, but. Um, now, this horse is apparently, like, the nicest horse, and she's had it for 10 years, so it just totally is fine. But um, that feeling, though, of hopping up on the horse and sitting there and, like, okay, now we're connected now. Like, we have this hmm. seemingly symbiotic relationship now going on where I'm controlling you and you're transporting me. I don't know if that's but... symbiotic. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess it is, but well, right, heavily, we have heavily this... favors you. Well, I don't think so because the horse could ultimately decide that we're done, and it's way stronger than I am, right? True. Yeah, I guess it's not symbiotic in the sense that I'm helping it, but it wants to be out there running around, right? So, yeah. by in that sense, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I've never. I've never controlled an animal before. So, <laughs> how's really weird? How fast did you get going and how was controlling it? Um, so controlling it, you just if you're going straight, you're just holding the reins straight. So um oh, what did she say that the there's like four levels of speed. So a walk, a trot, a canter, and a gallop, I believe. Nice. So a a gallop is, I asked her, like, how, you know, have you ever clocked this thing out? How fast does this horse go? <laughs> that happens during the gallop. How many horsepower would you say this, <laughs> this horse has? Um, so I guess I did a walk and a probably slow trot. So, um, you but were bounce, you... You were bouncing. Yeah, but that's the thing. I guess when you, that's a, it's a skill. There's a lot of skill involved with the rider. Um... So you do you do this thing called posting where you kind of get in a rhythm with the way the horse moves. So you're okay. Kind of yeah. in a, you're you're kind of in a flow. That way you're not just bouncing your body off the saddle of the horse, which Smacking I was. It. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I tried. I had it trot a couple times so I could try to get into that motion, but I had no idea what I was doing. I, so I imagine I you have to use around. your legs for that. And... Yeah. Yeah, and at one point she was like, just kick him to make him go faster. And I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. <laughs> so do you, act, do you act the, 
this might be a dumb question, but do you actually just like slightly tug on one rein or the other? To... Oh yeah, yep. And oh, that's crazy. They work. She said they just work off pressure. So by pulling on his head, essentially, yep. to the left and dragging his head to the left, he'll he go goes... left. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. And yeah, it was the freakiness of it went away very quickly, and it was very very fun. How many acres is the farm? Um, I think just over seven. Nice. And they've got like an outdoor arena for the horses, an indoor arena for the horses with all the stalls. And they're boarding other people's horses as kind of like a side Wait, gig. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's pretty sweet. Nice. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, so rode a horse. Check that box. Yeah, I've never done that. I'd do it again, though. And would you go faster? Um, I'd like to figure out that whole posting motion because... That's fair. Honestly, going too much faster, and I probably would have hurt myself a little. Just sitting on that thing, bouncing off of it, you know what I mean? Worse yet, you would have annoyed that 10-year-old horse. He's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> Who is this person? Oh, she was like, he can tell that you don't really know what you're doing. <laughs> ultimately, when there's this relationship between this horse and this girl, and they've known each other for 10 years, he was just following her around, like... He was, yes, he was responding to my inputs, but really, if she had been like, go this way, he would have just been ignored whatever <laughs> I was telling him to do. That's Which cool. Which is pretty funny. That is fun. But yeah, there uh, there was a couple different horses there, so you can kind of get a feel for their personalities, like this one is super docile, while other ones are kind of more playful and whatever. But yeah, ultimately still a giant-ass animal. I mean, there's like I, I'm sure I've seen videos of like pe- horses kicking people. I think there's a yeah. Case. That's what I was mainly afraid of. Yeah, like, yeah. I was asking her. I was like, so what's if you had to tell me like one thing to never do? Like, how do I spook a horse so that I know to never do that? And she didn't really have a you know a one thing necessarily, but it's a good. Um, that's a good question, though. at least in my opinion. Yeah, because every time I've ever been around a horse, I've been pretty timid to, like, pet it or whatever. Um, but I guess there's just, like, a couple areas where they are more sensitive in general than others, so. But anyway, it was fun. So if you ever get yourself into that situation, take that person up on it. I need to buy a farm. <laughs> Wait, don't you have horses, like, right down next to you? I do. I've never seen anybody ride them, though. Hmm. I asked her that. I said, can I ride any horse? <laughs> <laughs> now that and I have the power, like... <laughs> can I just wield it? No, exactly. Can I hop on any one of these things? And she was like, well, not really. I mean, you can, you know, horses obviously need to be trained for that, but certain ones that are just too wild and dangerous will not, you know, Submit. for obvious reasons, be used in that way. Um, but yeah, it's kind of cool. They live out in the country, and you can just kind of like take your horse around, like ride it on the main road, ride it on the dirt roads that are around, take it to the store. <laughs> I would definitely take my horse to the store. Dude, once you're up there, it's pretty cool. Like, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, horse people, but then you get up there and you start riding around, and you're like, oh, horse people. <laughs> I was going to say. When you were describing the connection and all that, I can absolutely see getting addicted to that. And Oh, yeah. It was a very, very cool feeling. Yeah. Um, all right. So 
my topic for the week. Uh, it's kind of silly, but I wanted to have some fun with it. Breakfast cereal. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't yeah. really know why, I, where this came from. Um, but initially, initially I was just thinking about kind of going through our favorite breakfast cereals and kind of tapping into that 90s, you know, buzzfeed list nostalgia. But... <laughs> That's not what this show's about. So we're gonna um, look at some some history of breakfast cereal and facts. Definitely. And history is actually kind of fun. Um, and then kind of look at where we are today with the industry. And then at the end, we can talk about our favorite shit. I bet the early stuff sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the the early stuff. Um, well, I guess first of all. Breakfast cereal in general, obviously most people know what that means, but I think when most people are talking about um, breakfast cereal, hang on, let me, why is, why is this doing this? There you go. Sorry, my window here was messed up. Um, so at least most often thinking about breakfast cereal in like Western society, the person's usually talking about um, some sort of like processed grain that people typically eat for breakfast um, with milk. With milk, um, and more often than not, it's sweetened. So yeah. they're not necessarily requirements; those things, but that's basically the the gist of it, right? I suppose um, there's hot and cold too. Hot and cold, yep, and that'll that'll come into play for sure um, <laughs> when we talk about the the market and everything. Um, but yeah, it's usually it's usually very sweet, which is interesting. Um, but anyway, so uh, the the history and where this comes from. So this guy, this, this story is kind of fun. James Caleb Jackson. He's credited with basically inventing the first dry cereal, RTE, ready to eat, is how it's referred to today. Eighteen sixty three. Um, nice. And okay. he called it granula, G A, uh, or sorry, G R A N U L A. That's Not a pretty granola, good name, actually. Granula. Um. Yeah. So this guy, and it's kind of interesting where this takes place. So he's born in upstate New York, and he's kind of interesting. He worked as like a farmer. He was an abolitionist until his thirties. He ran a paper that's called the Albany Patriot. No kidding. Um, Is it still around? I meant to look, and I actually didn't. So I don't know if you if you want to do a quick yeah, go ahead. Search while I'm while I'm going here, see if it still exists. Um, yeah. So at some point in his thirties or late thirties, I think he got sick and decided that he was going to try to like treat himself. Um, so he started getting into like alternative medicines and healthy eating and all these things. Um, but specifically, he got into something called. Um, hydropathy just some like alternative medicine method that is based around water and i don't really know what's entailed there but um yeah it's it's called hydropathy um basically he seemed to cure himself using whatever these methods are and so that inspired him to become a doctor so in his 40s he got his medical degree from a school in syracuse um and then ultimately he ends up opening a medical spa facility type thing, like a wellness center in Dan Dansville, New York. 
which I'm not sure exactly where that is. Dansville? I feel like this guy's ahead of his time. A little bit, actually. With the whole, like, healthy eating and, and all this alternative medicine stuff, I would agree. And the wellness center, yeah. Um, yeah, see, he opens this uh, facility. Or actually, no, he bought the facility. It was struggling. And he bought it and kind of, like, rebranded it and turned the whole thing around. And then it ultimately becomes one of the most, like, popular spas in the country. Um, and to speak to how popular it was, so this woman, Clara Barton, she is a patient there, um, before, or excuse me, let me back up. She ends up, uh, being the founder of the American Red Cross, this Clara Barton lady. And she was a patient at his place before, um, she ever founded that. And I guess like what she was witnessing at this place was part of her inspiration. So he had a very indirect role in <laughs> that's pretty cool i guess being responsible for the american red cross in a sense um yeah i thought that, that was kind of a cool fact that paper did not uh last too long no Eight, 1866 is oh, when it okay. was when it stopped so yeah okay 20 years 21 yeah he um i think somebody ended up having to take it over because when he got sick he wasn't able to do that anymore yeah um yeah, all right, so um, so he's, like, he's running the center, and he's into this clean eating thing, and um, he ends up coming up with this, this food item. He was looking for, like, alternatives to, uh, I read somewhere that he was looking for alternatives to coffee, which I'm not really sure how coming up with a dry good makes any sense for that, but whatever, he was inspired to make this thing. This dry cereal, basically he took graham flour and bran, excuse me, combined it and baked it, and then once it came out of the oven, he crumbled it up. And that was what's credited as being the very first dry cereal. And what I find the most fascinating about this entire story is that it was so dry and hard that it needed to soak in milk for 20 minutes before it could be eaten. 20 minutes? 20 minutes. But stuff sounds terrible. Not only is that crazy, but the fact that milk has been involved in this cereal thing in, since day one, I found to be pretty fascinating. It's not like milk became something, you know, part of it later on. It's literally cereal was founded upon the basis of pouring milk on it. So I was going to, up until you said the milk part, mm -hmm. I was thinking to myself, I don't know if I would call this cereal because to me, cereal requires milk. But then. <laughs> There you go. Then, That's where it comes from. Then uh, 20 minutes. So, of... you know, maybe other than like um, Captain Crunch nowadays, you don't really need the milk to eat it, right? You can <laughs> eat it dry. <laughs> I think Captain Crunch will probably make you bleed if you if you don't put the milk in there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, yes, it will. Those, right? uh, those yellow squares, man. Oh, they rip you apart. But they're so good. I think it's like... Uh, <laughs> It's like a, you know, it rips your gums apart. That way the sugar gets in faster. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, so uh, uh, that, that does beg the question, did he sweeten this first cereal? I don't believe so. Yeah, it nope. sounds like It was very not good. It so didn't really, so his version, right <laughs> yeah, no, you're right about that. But what was, what I think made it 
a popular idea, at least the idea of coming up with this RTE ready to eat cereal, mm-hmm. was that it was much more convenient than the other cereals or at least other breakfast items around at the time where you had to heat it up and cook it and whatever. Yeah. Like, so this uh, was something that you could just whip out, dump some milk on, and eat 20 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just more convenient in the setting of his spa that he had going on, right? Yeah, I suppose um, it probably keeps well, too. Preserves well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so not only is milk a part of this, but convenience is a part of this from the very beginning, too, right? Yep. Which. I would definitely say is part of part attractive of aspect of eating cereal in the first place is you just it's like the first thing you learn to make quote unquote as a kid right pour yeah. yourself a bowl of cereal <laughs> all you need is a spoon you're good to go um yeah so if uh if James Caleb Jackson's our protagonist of the story there's got to be an antagonist right <laughs> uh yes <laughs> walk in or introduce john harvey kellogg what a bastard right you know that name yeah um so he is running a similar spa actually here in michigan what? so again a <clears throat> yeah these like hydro spas i guess were something back in the 1870s um so somehow he gets word of uh James's very popular spa in the Northeast. So he makes his way there in 1978. Um, I guess he heard about it through one of his own patients or something. Uh, and he went there with the idea of getting intel for his own spa. But what really ended up happening is he stole the cereal idea. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, so he, Mr. Kellogg goes there and he sees this cereal thing that... Um, James Jackson's serving to his uh, his patients and decides that he can do that too. Um, so he creates his own version using different ingredients. He does corn, oats, and wheat. And he names it literally the same thing. Granula. So what does Jackson do? I bet you know what Jackson does. Renames his. No, he sues the shit out of him. Uh, that's much better. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's way This better. is America. We sue, even in the 1870s. <laughs> you can always sue. Yeah, that's a good move. Right? Yeah, so uh, he sues him. So then he's forced to change the name. And now Kellogg changes his to Granola. So there you go. That's where the name Granola comes from. So changes the U in Granula to an O. And now we have Granola. That's some um, petty. That's some petty shit right there. Right, right. Because I mean that um, uh, you know the first guy, he's like, I literally have documents showing when you showed up to my spa, mm-hmm. you stole the cereal idea, you went back, <laughs> and you didn't even bother to change the name. Yeah, and the sad part of the story, I guess, is that shortly after that whole legal debacle, um, I think Jackson dies. I don't oh, remember damn. why or how. Um, but he, he eventually is out of the, the picture, which probably makes it easier for Mr. Kellogg. Um, I mean, so is, after it, that, is, it, is it a conspiracy? No, <laughs> not really. I mean, I don't know if he patented the idea of the cereal or anything. He just got the, the rights to the name. Um, well, I meant more did Kellogg have oh, something to do. Oh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Uh, interestingly, 
before we move on, that spa. Um, oh, what the hell did he call it? Oh, it was something about up on the hill or something. Our spa on the hill or something. Either way, it's still there. Um, it's It closed its doors sometime in the 1970s, and it's been abandoned since. Um, but the but Yeah, and I checked out some pictures of it, but it's still there in Dansville, New York. You can go see it. Um, birthplace of cereal. Right? That's awesome, actually. It is kind of cool. So after Jackson's out of the picture, um, so uh, John Harvey Kellogg and his brother, Will Keith, um, they decided that they're going to keep running with this idea of this breakfast cereal, and they keep coming up with different versions. Um, so basically, they they eventually got to a point where they were making a product that involved, uh, they would like boil wheat, or no, yeah, they would boil wheat and then basically run it through this roller system that they had. I didn't get any images of this, but they'd make a big thin sheet of this boiled wheat. Uh, then they would bake that and grind it up. So that was their latest and greatest version of the cold cereal. Um, and then legend has it that they <laughs> they made one of these sheets. They rolled it through the rollers, but then they forgot to bake it and they left it on the counter overnight. And when they came back the next day, they had this stale, you know, wheat sheet. Um, and they were like, fuck it, let's roll it anyway. Yeah, definitely. And see what happens. Um, so they, uh, they rolled it and then baked it. Or no, they baked it and then rolled it and it broke into cornflake shapes. And boom, now cornflakes exist. What? Yep. So wait, are cornflakes not actually made of corn? Um. Or maybe that's, maybe it's different formula today. I don't know. Well, I'm not sure if, so their original cereal, if we go back, had corn, oats, and wheat. So oh, okay. So what it's they a were corn. making here might have been a, excuse me, a mix. I gotcha. Um, but I think though, if I remember right from the reading, I think the reason it kind of broke into the individual flakes is because when they rolled the wheat out, you know, it wasn't like a, um, <clears throat> it wasn't a consistent sheet, right? It had like the little grains of wheat in it. Right. So it kind of, those acted as like fracture lines, essentially. So it kind of broke in that pattern. Um, yeah, so that caught on, and boom. Now we have uh, cornflakes. And they were originally called Grinos. That was their original <laughs> name. <laughs> they were really sticking with the G-R-A-N thing. Yeah. <laughs> Brand awareness, or uh, association. Mm-hmm. So... The, the brother, Kellogg, not the one who originally went and stole the idea, he wanted to take the cereal thing larger, but um, uh, John Harvey Kellogg wasn't interested. He was more interested in his spa, and he didn't want to you know, take away from his concentration there to do the cereal thing, so Will, I guess, bought him out of his rights or whatever his half and and he went on to basically start the whole Kellogg company thing that we know today. Um so that's kind of where it all got started. And then what's pretty funny is uh this guy Charles William Post 
happened to be a patient at Kellogg's um, spa, and he did the same thing to him, and he turned around and made his own granola. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. My favorite part about that, though, while these other guys are fighting over granula and granola and granos, uh, Post just names his grape nuts. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably like, all right, we got nuts in it. He wants brand disassociation. He wants right? to be, you know, <laughs> fuck those other guys. And that brand, that cereal, is still around. You can go buy it in the store. I was gonna say, I definitely recognize mm-hmm. that one. So, and to that point, he post also made his own version of cornflakes, and he called it post toasties. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's naming was like on point. Yeah, these guys are all thinking. <laughs> Coming up with these lame names, and then Post comes in, he's like, no, Post Toasties, man. Post Toasties. <laughs> I love that name. Yeah, that is a good one. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the history of where it all comes from, which I thought was, was very interesting and kind of fun. Especially, you got Michigan in there, you got um, Albany in there, the whole thing. Yeah, that's a couple weeks, well... Last week, or two weeks ago, whatever, um, I had some New York stuff in my story. Mm-hmm. Weather manipulation thing. New York's, right. New York's generating all kinds of stuff. Very innovative. Um, all right, so today, as far as the cereal industry goes, um, well, first of all, so Kellogg and Post, they're both... Um, those two guys were originally from Battle Creek, Michigan, which is kind of out west of where I am. And I guess that city's nicknamed Cereal Capital of the World, since those two guys were from there. Which kind of takes away from the original guy a little bit, but ultimately he didn't create a cereal conglomerate like the other two did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so in general, if you look at like the, the market... I guess today, and I, I looked at it a little bit. Um, you see a trend of people kind of being more like after the health aspects of it. And yeah. so you see sugar content being reduced and the marketing of the healthy aspects of cereals being kind of increased a little bit. So, excuse me. So I actually went to the store and I started to look at the cereal boxes I haven't been down the cereal aisle in a decade. I don't know. But I wanted to see what was different. Um, not that much, actually. Like, you get, like, a there's, like, a healthy section of the aisle where you're going to get, like, your actual granolas and your hot cereals and things like that. Right. But all the sugary cereals are still there. I mean, <laughs> definitely didn't see any not there or notice anything. Um but, like, all the boxes say, like, good source of fiber and whole grains and know this, know that. Um, but ultimately, I think they're pretty much the same. Um, honestly, I was expecting more change. So, two things. One, if you think about the grocery store and all that, it is pretty impressive or whatever that cereal has its own aisle out of all mm-hmm. the different types of food and whatnot. Yeah. It, gets, it gets pretty much an entire aisle. That's true. That's a good point. That's on par with, you know, that's on par with like, there's a whole meat aisle or counter mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, that's a, 
that's a big player in the food world. Um, and then also, I feel like maybe just our taste changed or something, but Apple Jacks is the one that comes to mind the most. Mm-hmm. They they didn't they change their formulas? I, I don't know if think you looked so. at that. I think actually Kellogg's had a effort of reducing sugar by like, I don't know, like a third or something in most of their cereals. That doesn't mean it's not still full of sugar, but they, I think, right. across most of their products, if I remember reading right. So I For think me, that might be what happened. I was never a huge fan of Apple Jacks, but mm-hmm. maybe it was just the sugar reduction. But I do remember a point where like they just weren't as good. Well, I'm looking at the picture I took of the Apple Jacks box, and it looks exactly <laughs> the same as I remember. Oh, yeah, um, definitely, definitely. 10 grams of sugar per cup serving, so I don't know how which that is, compares. Which is bullshit. When you pour a bowl of cereal, who pours one cup? No one. Not a single, just might. If you, if you pour one cup, you come back for seconds. So just pour two at a time. Um, yeah. So I found this pretty funny real quick before we move on from these pictures and stuff. Um, even the freaking cookie crisp box, which is literally a bowl of goddamn cookies. Yeah, that's is, a gross one. Is saying like no fruit, high fructose corn syrup, no colors from artificial sources. Like they're even trying to. Um, <laughs> Look, you're buying a bowl of cookies, but yeah, it's not. It's not so bad. It's not so bad. But the counter to that is, I picked up the Captain Crunch box. Nothing. They're just like this <laughs> Captain Crunch. <laughs> you know what you're. Buying. You know what you're doing. <laughs> you better know. I mean, if you don't know what you're doing, and you just you know, brazenly dig into a bowl of Captain Crunch, you're, you're in for it in a couple of different ways. Oh, yeah. Yep, there's nothing on that box. I looked all around it to, um, to suggest there's anything healthy going on there. I'm looking at that the, was fun. I'm looking at the picture of the Captain Crunch box, and that mm-hmm. is a pretty classic. Oh, yeah. Just the, the solid red box. Um, I was happy to see that there's still games and stuff on the back of all the boxes. Or most of them, right? I was happy to see that. Dude, there was a point where they changed... I feel like when we were much younger, they changed the stuff that was on the back of the box more frequently. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know, maybe 13, 14, somewhere around there, at least for me. Yeah, it just kind of like got stagnant. Yeah, the same picture would be on the back of the box for Mm -hmm. like half a year, a whole year. That was bullshit. Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) Do you remember all the cereal boxes getting like holographics on the front at certain like shiny graphics and stuff randomly and definitely um, not to mention the toys in the the prizes that would they would put in the bottom of the box? Do you I was think... always pissed though when they put it in the cereal instead of just outside of the bag at the bottom of the box. Yeah. Do you think cereal at one point became marketed to children? Sarcastic. <laughs> Sarcastically saying that. <laughs> yes. The prize in the box, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, so, all right, so going back to the, the market a little bit. Um, so if you look at the cereal market as a whole, including RTE cold cereal and hot cereal, the market as a whole is in a steady decline. At least the most recent source that I had, um, I think it was 2016, it said for the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years, something like that, 5 to 10 years, 
in a steady decline of like 1.5% a year, probably from, from a revenue standpoint. Um, now, uh, cold cereal makes up 87% of the market, where hot cereal makes up 10%. Hmm. But despite the whole thing going down as a whole, if you dig into those categories a little bit, you'll see that cold cereal's going down significantly, but hot cereal's actually going up in market share. So people are kind of gravitating back towards hot cereals. Um, they're generally marketed as a little healthier. They probably are. You know, if you look at just like oatmeals and yeah. I don't know what else falls in the category, really. Um, except for like that instant oatmeal. Don't, don't do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so there's just a general shift in, in market um, preference going That's on there. A- that's some good reporting there. <laughs> Got some market trends. I dig it. Yeah. Well, we can keep going on them too a little bit here. Um, so have you fa- have you ever heard of um, the website or the company Nielsen? Nielsen at, like at home or something like that? Uh, if it, it's the same as the TV ratings uh, company, then yes. I think so. They do a lot of like market research and, yeah, and things yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, um yeah, so they they did a couple different studies around this stuff. One of them was U.S. only, and um, most people in the U.S., at least I think, again, this was around 2016 when the study came out, um, will tell you that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. <laughs> but the contrary to that is they found out that at least out of their sample size, only a third of kids that they sampled are provided breakfast at home. So that means two-thirds of these kids are either given something to go or are not eating breakfast or whatever. So from a, you know, if I'm Kellogg's, I see two-thirds of the market in that respect not being tapped into. I thought you were getting ready to say that that slogan was the cereal companies doing in in terms of artificially changing the... uh importance of breakfast but oh yeah i'm not really sure where i mean probably i don't see why I'm, there wouldn't be an effect i'm there. thinking about like the sugar industry mm-hmm. you know how they there's some shadiness going on there and the whole egg thing the whole uh you know eggs are bad for you thing which is obviously a lie well think about like all the commercials where it's like part of a balanced breakfast or whatever i mean yeah, exactly. Start marketing in a certain way. and Oh, got to have a balanced breakfast. <laughs> it's got to be balanced. What is balanced? Got to have a ton of sugar and a ton of fat. <laughs> <laughs> and toss in some gluten. How about that? <laughs> balanced. Um, yeah, you get you get an immediate sugar rush from the sugar. Oh you gosh. get sort of a medium length sugar rush from the, mm-hmm. the glucose because you got to break that down first, the gluten. Um, whereas <laughs> the sugar just like mainlines, right? It's just in there and then uh yeah it's interesting because even even adults that are eating the breakfast cereals and stuff still want it to be sweet like not many people are down for just eating like plain oatmeal um you know so these kids cereals yeah are wicked sweet but even like special k or whatever it is has got some votes yeah yeah, that's still pretty sweet Um, special k is not too bad at least i think Mm-hmm. I don't know. So there's a lot of competition from other 
food. So going back to the whole point of cereal being convenient, and that kind of being its reason for existing, um, as people kind of become more busy with their lives and chaotic and people have less time for everything these days, right? More convenient foods are going to sell and be more popular. So conventional breakfast cereals are being kind of outplaced by, uh, you know, protein and granola bars, breakfast cereal bars where you take the breakfast cereal and combine it with this like fake milk stuff, uh, yogurts, things like that um, are kind of crowding the space a little bit. Um, I guess that's just so you can just hand your kid a, a breakfast cereal bar and kick him out the door, that type of thing. That fake milk stuff, though, that, that, that weirds me out. I'm not sure out. what's happening there. I don't like it. <laughs> um, so another one of the studies that Nielsen did, they actually polled across four countries, so U.S., China, Brazil, and the U.K., and um, pretty much... In China, Brazil, and the UK, most people are eating breakfast, where in the US, it's like 50% people are eating breakfast. Um, but still, across all four countries, the mantra stood that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. So even in China, that was actually, they were the ones who um, answered yes to that sentiment the most. 90% of the people they polled said breakfast is the most important meal of the day, where it was like 80% in the U.S. So, kind of interesting, yeah. So it's not just our... We're all know, in agreement then, good. We're all good. in agreement that that's the most important <laughs> meal of the day. Maybe that'll be what, what ends up uh, brokering global pieces, breakfast. Mm. <laughs> so I'll just bust out the Lucky Charms. If we can, and... if we can all agree and sit down to, to some breakfast food. then If we can all agree happier. that you eat a bowl of Lucky Charms by first eating the... Uh, brand pieces and leaving at least leaving some marshmallows for the end. I think we can. I think we can do it. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that was gross. We used to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I would literally eat all of the. And you know that's not the best part. So the whole time you're kind of like, Ugh, <laughs> but then you see your collection. Of soppy, milk-soaked marshmallows just waiting for you. And they're so good. They just melt in your mouth. <laughs> it's the only way to eat that cereal. World peace right there. Right. I think we can all agree. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, so the last part of that study was that most in these four countries, people agree that they prefer breakfast that's portable and easy to eat. So, mm -hmm. so while they think that breakfast is the most important meal of the day, if they don't have a convenient, easy to eat option, then that's going to come into play when you know they actually eat something or not. You can't drive and eat a bowl of cereal. At least not. <laughs> you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Well, what you end up arriving at is like just this. You know, it just is really difficult. It's tricky, right? Uh, people want fast, portable, easy, but still healthy is what all this amounts to, right? Um, that's a problem. That's hard to do because <laughs> generally things that are packaged and highly processed and easy and don't require any cooking might not be the healthiest option. So, um, 
That's where probably marketing comes into play, and you lie. <laughs> <laughs> you just take a take a page out of the chicken industry's book and make up a couple of nonsense terms that don't actually That's do anything. That's right. That's right. Um, all right. So if we look at like major players today, uh, the big three are going to be Kellogg, General Mills, and Post. Those are kind of your biggest players in this field. And then you also have um, Quaker Oats making cereals and stuff, and then Malto Meal. I'm not sure really what they make, but I think they're the aren't they the ones that make the bags of cereal? That's kind of what I th- I was thinking. I yeah, think that's the case. A little cheaper usually. Yeah, yeah. Malto Meal makes the frosted mini spooners, which are the alternate. Oh. Yeah, they're way more frosted, or at least they were. Yeah. They're, and I thought they were actually better because of that. <laughs> I mean, more sugar. It's right? it's, a, it's a good look. Just give me the mini wheats, but take away that stupid fiber stuff under the sugar. Do you know what frosted <laughs> mini wheats did in return, or at least? Maybe not directly, but uh, they came out with uh, mini frosted wheats. So the the frosted wheat from that from Kellogg is actually that uh-huh. big one in the red box, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you had the, what do they call it? Just the mini frosted wheats. Frosted mini wheats. Frosted mini Thank you. Jeez. <laughs> now there's a, a mini mini. Like there's an even smaller oh, version. There's three and it's, sizes. Yeah, there's three sizes now. And that last one is so sugar dense. It's amazing. It's been years and years and years since I had it, but I recall it being the best of the bunch. <laughs> I always found it interesting that the full-size uh, frosted wheats, I guess, there's no mini there, um, you had to break them in half, or at least that's what how I did it. Yeah, yeah. You'd break them in half before you put them in the bowl. Definitely not the more popular of the two. No, but, oh, damn, I'm remembering. So when I was in the store in the aisle... It was really, really hard not to buy something. I gotta say, I almost, yeah. I almost did. Yeah. But I didn't I... really see how that would contribute. I would just tell you how I ate a bowl of cereal, and that would be it. So I decided it wasn't worth it. Um. All right. So Kellogg's and General Mills kind of go back and forth in terms of market share and how much they they bring in. I think right now Kellogg's is number one, but General Mills is like right there, and they go back and forth sometimes. Um, but since you see this decline in the market, they've really had to expand their, um, portfolio of of brands and areas that they're in. So Kellogg's is by no means, and General Mills as well, by no means just a cereal company. So Kellogg's specifically, they own brands like Cheez-Its, Pringles, Keebler. They bought RX Bar most recently, I believe. No kidding. Yeah. Eggo Waffles, Pop-Tarts. So all that's just a small sample. Um, yeah, so they've really had to diversify and uh, to to stay, you know, a major player. Not to, uh, to you know, divert you too much, but I was thinking mm-hmm. earlier when you were talking about the trends in uh, the market going down for the cold cereals. I was thinking about the car industry and how they needed to sort of consolidate at one point. Because they had too much variety. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And I was wondering your thoughts on... Because I'm looking at pictures of cereal cereal aisles, and all the staples are there, but like, Mm -hmm. there's like 12 different kinds of Cheerios. Yeah. um, That's a good 
point because it ultimately two, comes down to choice and variety, right? And that's the same thing they were doing with the cars. Um, I guess they must. It it obviously is, you know, all the even though there's twelve brands of Cheerios, it's all still the same company, and it's obviously cost effective enough for them to the process yeah. is easy enough for them to just make right. whatever. And you're, so. you're you're having different flavors, right? So I don't think it's a black and white comparison because you could say that like by offering by GM offering the Trailblazer as also a GMC Envoy and 17 other models, as we learned. Right. Um, they're different flavors in a sense, but you're charging people more and you're ripping them off because you're really, <laughs> you're trying to sell them a premium product that's no more premium than the less expensive right. one. So whereas right. you have 16 different types of Cheerios, they might all cost the same, but they're different flavors. So I don't know, but I don't know because you, you might get some of that pricing tier going on too, um, but maybe the the demands just in a food marketplace are just too different to to compare directly. I'm not sure. Um, so General Mills, they're headquartered in Minneapolis, Minnesota. They were originally no, they were never in Battle Creek, Michigan. General Mills popped up in in Minnesota. Um, so some of their other brands outside of cereal are. Betty Crocker, Pillsbury, Yoplait, Bisquick. Um, I think I think General Mills actually has more brands than Kellogg. Um, yeah, so their their revenue is like around um, two point six billion a year, and then so Post is the third biggest, but they're actually quite small, relatively speaking, at like one point six. So hmm. a whole billion different. Um, so they were originally. Post originally founded in Battle Creek, but moved to Minnesota. Um, and they do not seem to be nearly as diversified as the other two. So they seem to be playing pretty much just in the cereal space. Um, they've got yeah, to... So, oh, sorry, to, go ahead. they got to improve their... Uh, I recall Fruity Pebbles getting way too soggy way too quickly, and they own... <laughs> They own the Fruity Pebbles brand, so fix that. Yeah, so so let's see here. I wrote <laughs> down kind of the big the big players in um, each brand's portfolio here. So Kellogg's has got uh, Apple Jacks, Rice Krispies, Cocoa Krispies, Corn Pops, Corn Flakes, uh, Frosted Flakes, obviously, Fruit Loops, Mini Wheats, Special K, Honey Smacks. I feel like Kellogg's has the most solid lineup of, like, I don't know, just like recognizable cereals. So I was going to, well, okay, recognizable maybe, but I was actually thinking I don't love any of those. <sighs> okay, so I'm a fan of Apple Jacks. I can get down with the Rice Krispies. Yeah, they're okay. Corn they're Pops fine. are actually one of my favorite ones. Yeah. <laughs> Freaking love Corn Pops. <laughs> <laughs> they have they're definitely mini wheats too. We were just talking about oh, Okay, okay. I do, do. Honey Smacks. So, all right, well, let's see. Here's this list for General Mills. Yeah, yeah. This one, you can't go wrong. Cheerios. Okay. So that's that's huge that they have Cheerios. That's a whole yeah. brand on itself. Yeah, um, that is Chex, that is cereal. Like. Yeah. Chex is the same way, I would actually say. Those two together are, like, powerhouses. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Cocoa mm. Puffs, Fiber One, French Toast Crunch, Golden Grams, Kicks, Lucky Charms, Wheaties, Tricks. 
Uh, Reese's Puffs total. So I don't know, actually, going through that list, maybe General Mills is worth I was going to say, I, I appear to be a General Mills man. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I do love Frosted Mini Wheats. Right. Uh, and then you get you get Post coming in uh, here <laughs> with the OG Grape Nuts. Um, Cocoa Pebbles, Fruity Pebbles, so they got that brand. Uh, Honey Bunches of Oats, that one's probably pretty huge. Um, honeycombs, Shredded Wheat. Waffle Crisp. I was waiting for who owned that one. Thank you. Host. All so right. We owe them because goddamn the Waffle Crisp. <laughs> <laughs> I bet most people have no idea why that's so significant, but. Because it's the greatest cereal of all time. It might be. You and have tiny little waffles that you soak in milk and you a eat. Little, a little foreshadowing to my topic. Part of what made that one so good was because it was exceedingly rare. It was. And I was expecting to see it on the list of discontinued cereals, but it's not. They're still making it. Oh, thank um, goodness. And actually, uh, apparently they made a lower cost version for whatever reason called Waffle Crunch. Yeah. Excuse me. So, you know, keep an eye out for that. <laughs> um... So this is interesting. I thought I found a chart here that ranked like the most popular in terms of sales um, for the individual cereals. So Honey Nut Cheerios is the most popular branded cereal at number two. But what's interesting is number one is private label. So cereals that aren't necessarily falling under any of these big companies that collectively is actually more popular than any of these large interesting which isn't necessarily fair because you're you're lumping together probably way more things yep. under that yep. private label but still i thought that was interesting so i noticed... cheerios is is the most popular followed by frosted flakes so those are each owned by general mills and then kellogg's for frosted flakes so okay and then post coming in number four with honey bunches of votes. So you got a nice mix right there at the top. <laughs> nice and competitive the way we like it. Yeah. Lucky Charms is at eight. Oh, wow. Frosted Mini Wheats down at nine. Fruit Loops, I'm surprised, is in there at seven. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, five. So you want to know something weird? I found weird. Um, all three companies have a raisin brand. And it's what? called that. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Raisin... I'm look, there's a post box of Raisin Bran. Yep. Uh, I which one has the two how, how, does that, how does that work? I don't know. I'm really quite confused by it. You know, I, it must just be a gentlemanly agreement. Probably. In the sense that... Yeah. In the sense that it's like, look, it's just Raisin Bran. Like... <laughs> it ain't Honey Smacks, all right? <laughs> no, it's... <laughs> Golden Crisp or whatever. All right, so what's That's your so favorite f- cereal? Other than Waffle Crisp, let's just... Let's we just know <laughs> Waffle Crisp is there at the top by a large margin. <laughs> but if you had to go otherwise... If I had to go, I've been thinking about it here and there since the topic, of course. Mm-hmm. I'm struggling with my favorite. Um... 
Frosted Flakes is really good, but it's funny because I hate cornflakes. So that just <laughs> that's all that is is just the sugar. Yep. Frosted I like Flakes are really flakes. good. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I would get down with some of the bland ones, I guess. Um. God, man, I really couldn't decide my favorite one. It's tough. Like Captain Crunch with the Crunch Berries is amazing. That's a great choice. Um. I find it much easier to tell you which ones I hate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess I'm going to go with, um, Oh fuck. Yeah. Frosted flakes, uh, frosted mini wheats. Frosted mini wheats. All right. Yeah. That's a good one. I definitely but, would never turn down a bowl of that. So you get some, like the more I think about it, you get some like silent players, like tricks was always Tr- really good. Yeah. Um, did you like, uh, honeycombs? I at first, those were awesome. At first, we did eat a lot of them, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. That has a way of, of reducing, or at least for me, if I have too much of something, it's it's not as good. Um, I might have to choose actually corn pops as my. I knew you were going to. <laughs> as my favorite, other than waffle crisp, of course. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Corn pops are are one of those ones where. They reach a point where they've been sitting in the milk for, I don't know, maybe five minutes. Mm-hmm. And they, they get not overly saturated. That's bad. But saturated just to a perfect point where they're a little softer. And it's, it's right. It's where it's at. They are definitely a unique one. That The way the sugar coats them is, mm-hmm. I think, different <laughs> than most, right? And thus gets you what you just described, I think. So which ones um, do you hate? Fruit Loops is at the bottom. Really? Fruit Loops is terrible. So what makes Fruit Loops terrible as opposed to any of these <laughs> other cereals? That's what I want to know because it's a sugary like, you know what I mean? It's not really any different than for me it was pebbles or something. Yeah, for me well, I guess is, just why. For me, I guess it's just something about the aftertaste, just something hmm. about Yeah, I don't know. I just never <laughs> never liked it. Right. Um, yeah, Fruit Loops is definitely at the bottom. <laughs> it's funny. What do you uh, think about um, Golden Grams? That was always a controversial one, I feel like. Golden Grams. Oh, yeah, no. Mike loved those. And he I, did. I, I, I tended to favor them. I did not. Yeah. This is interesting. As we've been talking about this, you know, we usually are are in tune with a lot of things and what we like and, and all that, but we have very different cereal tastes. Right, because you loved Reese's Puffs, and yeah, I was never a fan. Yeah, those are good. I was thinking I mean, about I, making I those eat my them, top. Right? I mean, it's full of sugar. I'm going to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> they were never my go-to if there were other options. Yeah. Um, I never, ever liked any of the chocolate stuff. Cookie Crisp, Cocoa Puffs, and cookie any of the chocolate garbage. Yeah. <laughs> Cocoa Puffs and Cocoa Krispies, though. No, I, no. I can, I can do that. Something about chocolate for breakfast, just. <laughs> what about Reese's Puffs? It's chocolate and peanut butter. Fair, I guess the peanut butter balances. That's a balanced <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> okay, fair enough. How about that feeling when you're like, I don't know how old we were, ten something you go into the main cereal cabinet upstairs and you don't see something you want 
So you make your way down the stairs to the basement, you open up those doors, turn on the light, and boom, illuminated in front of you is a fresh new box of, like, <laughs> frosted, frosted flakes. flakes. Just boom, <laughs> right there. And you know, mm, it's coming. <laughs> and then you're out of milk. Oh, no. <laughs> I would, I would, if it were frosted flakes, I'd, I'd sacrifice it and go dry. Just go dry. <laughs> you never put water on that, though. That's gross. No, no, that's worse than... You, you eat it dry or you don't eat it at all if you don't have milk. <laughs> um, any other, uh, any other weird cereal traditions that you can think of? Um, in terms is, of, like, the ones funny. you'd eat a certain way or... It is funny how big a part of our lives it was. I feel like we could, mm-hmm. we have, we have to actively stop talking about it because we could definitely sit here for another thirty minutes and just, oh yeah, talk, just talk about cereal. That's why um, I figured. I'd, a, I wanted to to hit that nostalgia <laughs> chord a little bit, and also, when it comes time to do the artwork, I kind of wanted to make a cereal box, so I thought that would be fun. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah I can't I, think of any other like particularly weird like methods like the the lucky charms where you like eat the all the gross yeah. stuff first and then <laughs> the breaking of the large mini wheats um yeah i can't really think of any oh you know what i just thought of I something don't. that would really weird and unsettling that would happen when you ate fruity pebbles oh is, yeah as yeah. they would sit in the milk and this probably happens with the cereals too but like some sort of sugary, chemically, just like a film on top of the milk. And as you drag the spoon towards you to collect some to eat, you would notice it kind of like rippling in the milk. And it was, at the time, you're like, okay. <laughs> but now I'm thinking about that and it's not probably okay. <laughs> probably not. No, it's like a sugar plastic mix. Not yeah. Really plastic, but probably not fully natural though no definitely not <laughs> it doesn't feel it at least no no that was uh i think you outdid yourself and me um with the cereal topic you that was that was good <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> fun to look into so something that you probably would not mix would be unless uh, i suppose maybe a hot cereal you could you could get away with mixing uh cereal and truffles Oh, funny that I picked food as well. Um, yeah, yeah. That so is interesting. It, I was at a restaurant and was having some truffle oil tater tots, and the taste of it, and just the idea of truffles is that's what sort of seeded the idea. Um, and then I just also sort of knew by association that they're expensive, right? They're just this weird, expensive. I think so. Yeah, that's just what they I've never means. actually seen one or eaten one, I don't think. Me, yeah, well, there's... Or eaten something truffle flavor. Like, I don't even know anything about it. It's basically where I was, other than whatever these the oil that was on these tater tots is allegedly truffle oil. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I just thought they were... And I knew them to be expensive, which um, probably means, you know, people fight over them. So, sure enough, that's the case. <laughs> The only thing I can say, somewhat confidently, is that pigs are required to get them. Is that right? Uh, they were used. However, 
the uh, dogs are now preferred to find them oh. because oh. pigs were eating too many. <laughs> so you imagine, I mean, that's pretty funny. Basically, a pig could eat like two thousand dollars in a couple seconds. <laughs> okay, I get it. And the dogs, the dogs don't appear to to need to do that, sir, or want to do that, It'd or be can just be better trained. Yeah. I was gonna say train them to not do that. Right. Um, so what are they? Um, they are a fungus. They're the fruiting body. I said that weird. They're the fruiting. <laughs> <laughs> They're the fruiting body of a subterranean fungus. Um, okay. So it, it, it never uh, goes above the ground, unlike a mushroom, right? Um, and okay. they're of the genus Tuber, T-U-B-E-R. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, Which is also, what else falls under there? Um, 86, too familiar 86 with... other species. Oh. But I didn't find out what other types of fungi beyond truffles are, are under oh, that. Oh, like a potato. A potato is a tuber. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Both underground? Yeah. Yams, potatoes, sweet potato. Okay, yeah. That's what constitutes a tuber, is whether it grows, like, as the root underground? Uh, you you tell me. You're the one with that pulled up. I didn't go into the tu- I didn't, <laughs> okay. I didn't go into the tubers themselves. Sorry, it's just kind of a weird thing that I no, no, no. somewhat recently started to read and learn about. So um, Interesting anyway. that a... Would you then make... So they're calling this a fungi. Um, does that mean a potato oh. is um. within that? Yeah, Jess is shaking her head. Oh, yeah. Tuber fungus. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe they're different. List of tuber species. They might be different with a similar name. Um Yeah, I think they're they're different. Um, so I would imagine was, they are because I think uh, being a fungi is a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah, they totally get different. Potatoes, potatoes probably don't have spores. They're called yeah, they're guess. called tubers, but I don't think it's a fungal genus like the one you're talking about. So just yeah. similar name. So the truffles are they're kind of cool. They um. They grow in a symbiotic relationship with, uh, generally speaking, hardwood trees like oaks. Okay. And so they essentially they extend the root system of the tree and just allow it to go farther and, and obviously gather more nutrients and it takes some of those nutrients. Um, it's kind of a, I didn't, I, I searched a little bit because I just thought to myself, well, why doesn't the tree have a longer root system just naturally? Why does it need the truffle? But mm. I think it's probably overthinking it. Um, what comes to mind is like those uh, sharks in the ocean that rely on the fish to. It's true. Maybe there's some sort of. Uh... Or maybe it's whales that rely on the fish to eat the plankton or whatever it is off them. Not Point plankton, is, but... I couldn't find exactly like it seemed like. It seemed like that relationship, kind of like you, the one you were talking about, is sort of one-sided in a way. Hmm. Um, and I couldn't find what, other than extending the root system, the truffle was doing. But maybe I should have searched harder. Hmm. <laughs> anyway. Um, and they, uh, so yeah, they extend the root systems of the trees and they grow at the base of the trees, pretty much. Okay. Um, a couple inches underground, usually. Mm-hmm. Six, six inches or so. Um, that sounds like it would be a pain in the ass to collect 
it indeed it is yeah so they spread by being eaten um the spores so unlike uh like a fungus that um remember those mushrooms that you could like pop and they would send their spores out oh yeah 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 so these ones need to be they're designed to be eaten so that's how they spread okay um which i don't know it uh so like as i'm eating this thing it's gonna pop and no 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 like the animals eat them and walk around and poop them out got it got it got it okay <laughs> kind of like uh birds and seeds and all that mm-hmm. um so they were first mentioned by neo-sumerians regarding the and so the these uh, neo-sumerians were documenting the diet of one of their enemies and they noted that they they were eating these truffles hmm. um and for whatever reason, they they were kind of a mis- oops. They were kind of a even a mysterious thing back then, and so there was like legends that uh, they were created when lightning struck uh, wet ground at the base of a tree, and that's how truffles get made. <laughs> at least that's what they thought. Yeah. Okay. Well, they um, eat them raw. Yeah, that's how we eat them today, pretty much. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, you can just bite into these things, I guess. Um. So, yeah, they were first mentioned, that's 20th century, the 20th century BCE, so oh, 4,000, wow. yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, okay. Uh, but they didn't really feature much um, at all, really, in history that wasn't like a, a common crop that you might read about in different documents and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, then in the Renaissance era, there was a reignited interest in the truffle, uh, but it wasn't until the late 1700s that um, I guess the secret got out in a way. Because um, originally, I shouldn't say originally, but during that time, it was a sort of like a, a secret delicacy of the French lower class. And then around 1780, it, it couldn't find, you know, it's kind of a hard thing to nail down exactly sure, how it progresses. Sure. Um but sometime around the 1780s, it, it kind of caught wind that these things, when they're picked at the right time and, and are treated with care, have this really desirable taste and, and hmm. are ultimately pretty well. Uh, the harvesting is, is very difficult, but once you get them, you don't hmm. have to really do anything. You just you can kind of just shave just them it. over our, like a hot dish is usually how it's done. Um, oh, okay. So it's very easy to do. And they taste amazing, apparently. Allegedly, yeah. More on the taste later. Okay. Um, so, yeah, 1780 is when they sort of, the Parisian markets, and that's when they sort of state that it's started to become a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, the the types of truffles that are the sort of the, the most famous, most expensive, whatever, there's the black winter truffles from the Perigord region of France. Okay. I think there's, depending on what's going on, you can definitely have black truffles from France that are not just in that region, and I'm mm-hmm. sure they're they're good, but they're famous. Uh, their sort of colloquial name is the Paracord truffle. Okay. And then also the Italian white truffles that are grown in the northern part of Italy, uh, up in the mountains. Those are the two that you know, if you go to a restaurant that it's like hundreds of dollars a plate or whatever, and there's truffles on the menu. It's going to, what well, it's hopefully talk more about that later, but hopefully it's going to be either the, the black truffles from France or the mm-hmm. white ones from Italy. Okay. Um, 
there are also there are definitely more types than that. Um, there's summer ones, summer black truffles from Italy. They are less expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, it's going to come down to because pretty much all truffles are harvested the same. It's like intensity of flavor and, uh, and aroma okay. that sort of drives. So the the winter and the both of the winter ones, the black and the white, they're the most potent out of out of okay. all of it. Got it. The most desirable. Yeah. Um, so what they look like? I'm gonna try to. I was trying. I was staring at them for a while. Trying to I'm actually of... staring at one now. <laughs> okay, so the white <laughs> ones to me kind of look like large cashews. Um. Okay. The I think the one. The white one I'm looking at does not. Let me let me do this. Especially when they're cut, I mm. suppose. To me, they they look like really large, bulbous cashews. Maybe. Oh yeah. I see that now. Um, and like they can a, range like in a size. Walnut, actually, they almost look walnutty. Is that what it cut I'm open? Not... Okay, like actually, they... I think. I think I had my nuts confused. <laughs> that seems. Let me look up a walnut. That's terrible that I don't. Like the inside when it's cut. It oh yeah, you're like right. A, yeah, kind walnut. Of a walnut. Ignore my idiotic. It choice of cashew um i just lost my so can i can i buy these at the store um i tried to for this episode and for various reasons it was difficult ultimately the best course of action looked to be um order them online okay uh, but i'll I got a section on some of the buying and selling stuff okay. in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so yeah, the white ones look like walnuts, actually big walnuts. That's, that's much better description. The black ones, um, they look like big lumps of coal kind of. Yeah. I saw those. They're very different looking when you cut them open. Yeah. They have, uh, they have like a dark purplish mm-hmm. interior with white veins running through them. Mm-hmm. They can range from the size of like, I don't know, a golf ball or so. Mm-hmm to i would say average uh, maybe a baseball well that's probably a little big uh but they can get much bigger they could probably get double the size of that um but is that past their prime of when you'd want to eat one like no the size does not appear to be one of the better indicators of of ripeness Mm, they can definitely grow big and still be picked at, a, at the same time as a medium-sized one i suppose Got it. okay it, they're they're very complicated and uh finicky species i suppose hmm. they don't like to grow and they grow very slowly um so yeah and then there's uh there's also these um chinese black truffles that's probably not the best name for them um tuber Himalay. Himalayanus hmm. after the Himalayan mountains. They grow on either side of the uh, Himalayan mountain. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about those two. They are um, causing upset in the markets today. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. uh, the, the cultivation process for truffles, mm-hmm. one of the big reasons they're so expensive, as you rightly thought, was, you know, they're very difficult. They're, they're scarce and Part of that reason is because they grow extremely slowly, sometimes a decade, maybe a little more. Oh, wow. Um, we haven't had amazing success, although 
much, you know, within the past couple of years, five, 10 years, maybe, um, much more success at sort of farming them. Um, and they're just rare and hard to find and, and they require a long process to dig up. So out in the wild, what happens is every winter or every season, uh, there, there are summer seasons like the ones in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to use pigs like you thought, but nowadays they use dogs, easier to train, don't eat them. Um, they, they literally just take these dogs which have been trained to hunt out this smell mm-hmm. and they just start tromping through the forest looking, you know, looking at these oak trees and the different hardwoods that are around and, and taking the dog around and, and just looking for them. Dang. And once, once the dog finds it, uh, almost like an archeologist digs up dinosaur bones, they gently extract these things from the mm-hmm. ground. Um, cause if you, if you nick it, if you, you know, if you damage it, you're going to accelerate the already extremely short shelf life, yet another driver of the cost. Wow. Their prime is argued their absolute prime could be said to be as much as, or as little as five days after coming out of the ground. Oh, wow. And they're well, pretty, would I want to eat it ideally right on the spot? Is that yeah. okay? Or do you want to wait five days? Uh, no, on the spot. Okay. Yeah. Pick it and eat it mm-hmm. or dig it up, I suppose. Um, and they're, they're more or less, they lose most of their flavor and pungent nature, uh, after about 10 days. Okay. Wow. So hard to, hard to find, mm-hmm. difficult to harvest, you know, not efficient at all in terms of speed, mm-hmm. right? Short so shelf life, all that. Am I gonna, if I'm finding these in the forest or whatever, um, is it likely that you find them in clusters or could I find one under a tree? one under a tree whoa yeah like and so nowadays that's part you How know do these things exist they don't seem to really make sense from like a biological kind of yeah like what's their purpose why do they exist and because if it weren't for us seeking them out like what's eating them like naturally, um i know? i think uh uh foraging animals like deer and stuff you know they're they're constantly walking around with their nose to the ground Mm -hmm. they're going to be able to smell it they they say that once once um you know the once the dog sniffs and you sort of break that initial ground uh it's like getting punched in the face if you find a real the perfect one that's at the perfect ripeness it's like getting punched in the face by the smell So they, I imagine they to a to an animal that has a much better sense of smell than us. Yeah, uh, it's probably very hard strong. To find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, okay. So yeah, that's um, so that's the traditional way. That's the way it's been been done for a long time. Is just there are forests in France in the northern part of Italy, on the Himalayan mountainside that they just naturally occur. And then every season people go hunt them mm-hmm. essentially modern attempts at, at sort of making this easier is they, they take trees that um, have been proven to grow truffles and they take what they, they take the spores of those truffles and they sell uh, the spores and whatnot across uh, to farmers and you just essentially you just plant a plot of hardwoods mm-hmm. and you you do what you can to spread the spores of the truffle and then you just hope for the best really oh wow obviously obviously there's 
I mean, I'm, I'm glossing over, you want to have the, you need to have the right soil. So they're, like I said earlier, they're, they're very um, temperamental in how they grow. So they need the right tree, the right soil, type of soil, acidity levels, I'm assuming, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So the farmer can certainly control those uh, aspects, but it, it, it's a slow process. Like I said, it can take a decade. Um, is there documented success of people yes, farming them? There is. So there are definitely farms in France. There's a couple farms in the U.S. and, and across the world. So people are attempting it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was doing a little reading on just that. And a couple of years ago, there was a big disease moving through parts of the south, or I'm sorry, sort of Midwest-ish, mm-hmm. where some of this was being grown and um, killed off a bunch of crop, which, you know, if you're five years deep into growing a truffle and then the tree dies, that really sucks. Um, sure, yeah. So, yeah, people are people are definitely attempting it. I assume they have to be making money to a certain extent. I mean, you know, a fist, depending on what the, cur- the current market price is, but, uh, you know, a fist-sized truffle like the the paragord from france it's like 1500 bucks oh wow so there it's it's definitely if you pull one out of the ground you you have a good day well for uh... for at a personal level you have a good day yeah obviously a a farmer needs to pull way more than that (laughs) i've got one do you know where the name truffle comes from uh i don't i assume it's it's a french weird name yeah sounds like it Maybe, but I thought about reciting. Uh, I found a really good, uh, actually, a Reddit post where the guy describes exactly how they merge with the tree and all that. Um, mm-hmm. It is, uh, it is fascinating. But essentially, it just grows into the tree and it just becomes it. It gets its tendrils, if you will. I'm sure there's a better name for that, but gets them into the root structure of the tree and it becomes one. Um, so other than the the dog or the pig, are there any other special tools that you need to to get this thing off the tree without damaging I, it, or are you just carefully digging with like your hands or something? I watched a couple videos of some French guys, and they would move the dirt out of the way with their hands mm-hmm. initially, and then they would have brushes to really get the fine part out, you know, the fine bit, mm-hmm. and then. Um, they kind of just, if they're in the ripe state, it looked like they just kind of pulled them, and okay. it didn't look—it didn't look like there was actually much at that point connecting uh, the truffle to the to the tree. Because if you look okay. at a picture of them, they don't have a—they don't necessarily have a clear point of, you know, like an apple has a stem. Yeah, no, they just—they're just like a lump. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, I, I watched a couple guys pull them out of the ground, and it, it kind of just looked like they were at the base of the tree and once you dug enough dirt around them so that you could kind of get your fingers around it mm-hmm. you just ge- gently pulled it so what do they taste like um short answer is it's it's very difficult to describe i found somebody else's description that i loved i'm going to use it but okay. i i couldn't even it's in the mush it's definitely in the mushroom world and the fungi world so it's got that deep earth kind of notes to it mm-hmm. um but there's just something about the aroma of the truffles that i guess is like it's just so funky and and uh strange and, and people are addicted to it so yeah slightly garlicky with a deep mushroom aroma 
very earthy, pungent, and deliciously funky. Whoa. That's that's uh, not mine, but I liked it. And like I couldn't even tell you what it. So the thing about the the truffle oils is they can be fake, especially the ones we get over here. Oh. Uh, um. So I don't even know. Fake flavors. Well, it can be synthesized at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also those Chinese black truffles. Um, they can be. They're much cheaper. It's like three hundred percent cheaper. Mm-hmm. And um, can you can you, you can fake it with those. So. I assume that's what was on this meal or these tater tots that I was having. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I couldn't even really describe to you the, the smell. Like there was and flavor. a distinct, the, you, yeah. there was a difference there that you were able definitely. to pick up. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And it's good. I liked it. Okay. Now, I, I like mushrooms, so that doesn't surprise me all that much. Yeah. So um, I went to look to buy some, and okay. I, I looked locally. It's. I, couldn't really find any stores that said they sold truffles naturally by the pound right or, or by the well really by the gram um and part of that's because the seasons especially for the rare ones are pretty short a mm-hmm. uh, couple months you know three months long um and and so and then obviously the shelf life is an issue so if they're not uh if they're not overnighted it you're kind of wasting your time. Hmm, interesting. So I watched this video of this guy in New York who was a truffle seller. And he would go to the airport every single day, mm-hmm. pick up oh, the overnight. Sense. Yeah. He would go to <laughs> Newark airport every single day. Nope. And he would pick up the the uh, overnighted truffles. And he, would, he has just a list of customers, uh, fancy restaurants and chefs and whatnot. And it was really impressive. He had quite the op- operation going. But it was also really sketchy in a way because he was driving around and he would order all kinds of like rare mushrooms. And so it wasn't just truffles, but that was definitely mm-hmm. his main thing. Okay. But he was going around in a purposely unmarked van because he didn't want to advertise that he had literally thousands of dollars worth of fungi in his yeah. truck. And he just would drive to these restaurants around New York City and oftentimes just doing thousand dollar deals out of the back of the van on the street. That's crazy. So Sometimes, did he have like orders to fill or would he just show up and be like, hey, I got truffles, you want some? So he would have orders to fill and then he, he said he would always have extra stuff on him because nine and, uh, nine out of 10 chefs, they, they see some rare mushroom or mm-hmm. something and they want more. So, yeah. <laughs> and then he, then he also just, he, at one point he stated if he just had extra products, he would just start driving around and, you know, say, hey, I got this. That's crazy. But yeah, like, um, yeah, it, it was it was wild. So, is there any that, other food that's like so sought after and specialty like that? No, truffle is at the top as far as pound for pound. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the white truffles are more expensive than the black ones. Uh, the the Italian versus the French. Hmm. Um, the seven, it's about $7 a gram or it was a couple years ago, about $7 a gram for the black truffles. Damn. I mean, how much do you need to like, even that's, make that's worth the, it? that's the good thing is you don't need a ton. Okay. Um, uh, maybe I'm going to guess here. 
10, 20 grams, 10 grams maybe. And that's if you're doing it raw. So you can get more yeah. bang for your buck if you process truffles into like an oil or some other secondary product. You can mm -hmm. get that's a, more that's really right. And not only that, but you do get uh, longer shelf lives if you mix in some preservatives and, sure. and all that. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the other big reasons that they are um, so expensive, they are the, the the yearly harvest is down a ton. So 100 years ago, we were uh, pulling about 2000 tons of the various truffles, excluding the Chinese ones um, out of the ground. So 200 2000 tons total. We're, right now, I saw anywhere from 20 tons hmm. to 40. Is there less demand or just less product available? Each source that I was reading uh, quoted climate change, actually. Oh, shit. They're so sensitive. They're just not. They're it's just not, not as abundant. Much. Yeah, they're just not as abundant as they were. Basically, the, the area in which they grow and thrive is shrinking. Probably won't be too long <laughs> before they're gone then, I would imagine. Potentially. Potentially. Yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, there's, and I, I watched this, uh, there's a really famous, I didn't know him, but that's not saying much. There's a really famous chef named Bruno. That guy alone, they claim that his restaurant per year uses five of those 30 tons. What? So that's a crazy five tons. five tons. Now he's, he is like one of the most famous chefs and therefore probably has one of the busiest sets of restaurants. But yeah, they claim that he, he personally, or not he personally, but his operation consumes five of the 30 available tons per year. Whoa. Which is just intense. So if I if I go to a legitimate restaurant that's going to serve me truffle, not oil, but like truffle on something, what can I expect? Are they going to like grate it on top of a food dish or am I getting like a slice so it's most traditionally served, just as you described first there, imagine a, a dish of pasta mm. and then thinly sliced shavings of truffle are put mm. over that. Okay. And the heat of the pasta is just enough to infuse the, the flakes of truffle and get them a little warm. And that apparently makes them even more aromatic than they normally Gosh. are. I want to kind of experience this before they're gone. I think we're going <laughs> to, I think we're going to have to do it. But you so can the, easily pay hundreds of dollars for a plate with, uh, oh, yeah, with proper yeah. truffles on it. There's a... I don't really expect them to have these, but there's this, like, all-natural, everything's local and, and, you know, organic, whatever, grocery store that I found. If there was a place around here to have it, I would suspect it to be them. But based on what you're saying, I, I'm not hopeful, but I will look tomorrow when I'm there um, to I, see if they have something. I almost settled, and maybe I should have. Now I'm kind of regretting this choice, but I almost settled and like got some truffle oil, and I was gonna yeah. have it in front of me. I mean, but, if you can get some real oil. It sounds like that is a good substitute, right? To so ultimately, I wasn't. Smell. I wasn't confident one that I could get. I basically I wasn't confident that I could get real truffle oil, um, basically in time to record. Mm. Um because I was looking at some of the stuff that was in the grocery store and that just reeked similar to the whole olive oil situation. Um, it just reeked of 
fake, you yeah. know, yeah, inf- so. uh, synth- synthesized flavors and all that. Because mm-hmm. I was looking online at what proper truffle oils cost, and what I was looking at the store was oh, okay, not nearly expensive enough. Um, and I also didn't want to drive like crazy far. And I imagine if you're using a truffle oil, you use it as sparingly. Well, I was gonna say like a you don't cook with it; it's like a finishing oil, I guess you would say. Yes, yes, yeah, definitely got it. Um, so yeah, buying them online or getting in touch with a guy in, in New York City <laughs> um, seemed to be the way to go as far as as far as purchasing them. And yeah, that guy was crazy. He um, he talked about a couple stories. People have slashed his tires. Uh, he doesn't obviously doesn't have any markings on his that? van. Well, his competitors have slashed his tires so that he's disabled for a day because it's it's oh. a day. The nature yeah. of the truffles. This is probably yet another reason they're so expensive, because of their short short shelf life. Uh, it's basically a daily grind, right? Where every you know that guy was going to the airport every day. Probably so, make a bank, though. I I hope he was. He was um, putting in a lot of effort. It looked like it was cool. How would you ship them? Would you have to like keep them cool or anything, or is it just a timing thing? They looked to just come in cardboard boxes. I couldn't Mm -hmm. tell whether or not the main cardboard box that came in uh, was insulated or not. Mm -hmm. But I think as long as they're kept at like normal temperatures, you know, 60, 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. I think they're okay. Probably Uh, wrap them up so they don't nick into each other and whatever. Yeah. Well, these ones actually were just chilling in a box oh. together, together, um, which does kind of make not make sense because I definitely, like... re- I definitely read that you and, and watched. You know, they, they were pulling these things out of the ground very delicately. Yeah, right. So I'd imagine if you just have them loosely in a box, they might get it damaged. Seems a little. I think they're I think they're transported though. He probably pays a ton for transport to be. Yeah. Very uh, gentle. At least I, I assume he does. Um, yeah, so ultimately what really made me interested in the topic was the conflicts around all this. Because... got to be something. There's got to be something. Because I just suspected and probably had read or heard somewhere in the past, I've long since forgotten, you know, that because they're so expensive, naturally there's going to be competition and... They are expensive enough that people are willing to risk a lot. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot going on. So one of the worst things, uh, the competition in the sort of the wild space where people are, are going out into open land and, and the looking for The ones on the front lines actually getting them. Right. Uh, there is poisoning and, and basic any anything to do to get rid of the dog. Because the, oh, oh, shit. It, a well-trained truffle dog is worth it's they're kind of priceless yeah right so people capture them kidnap them they will uh they will plant poison around known truffle hunting areas to kill their competitors dogs so that they can come in and they obviously knew or they should know where they put the poisons mm-hmm. so yeah so if you can kill your competitor's dog or disable it or otherwise you're you're at a significant advantage so that one kind of sucks because that does suck. That's really dogs are lame. Really yeah, it's terrible, and it ha- it it goes on. Um, yeah, I'm sure it, 
both uh, France and Italy have truffle police. They're they're full government. I mean, they're they're forestry police, but mm. their their main assignment is anti truffle poaching. Whoa. Or or managing the truffle trade, I suppose. Sure. Um, there's definitely been robberies. Uh, people, you know, shipments of trouble truffles do get robbed. There have been deaths in those robberies. Uh, that guy Bruno had 200 kilograms of truffles stolen out of his restaurants one time. Excellent. Nobody was hurt in that one, but uh, and I don't know if he was being dramatic or not. But I watched an interview with him talking about truffles, and he didn't really want to talk about them. He said that he would get hurt if he talked about it. like Jeez. the darker Seriously? side of yeah, yeah. He said he didn't want to talk about it. Dang. He's and and what he did, you know, the, the reporter kept going. It was a 60 Minutes thing. Um, the reporter kept going and asking him, and so he answered a few things, but, he, yeah. you know, he didn't say much. I mean, it's like a, it sounds like a, a drug operation, you know? Well, like... definitely. It definitely has all the makings of the drug trade. Yeah. In fact, I wrote down, the truffle trade looks a lot like the drug trade. <laughs> um, and so sure yet, another, an, yet another yet uh, another way that they mirror each other those black truffles that come out of China. Mm-hmm. Um, at least at first, I have a hunch that it can actually be done properly, but they're, um, they're a truffle. They're not the same species or anything as, as the ones in Italy or, or France. They're, they're a black truffle, or at least the, the main one that I'm going to talk about. There are others. Basically, the, the harvesting, it's, it's thought that the harvesting methods that they use are just incorrect, and, and so they basically pull them out before they're ripe and mm-hmm. they just rake the ground. They don't delicately uh, pull them oh. up. And they so no time for that. They just... Quality or quantity over quality, I yeah. suppose. Right. So what I couldn't find, and I was really curious was if you took, well, I shouldn't say I couldn't find more recent reports were that if you took the time and care that you do with a French or Italian truffle, if you do the same with these truffles, these uh, Himalayan ones, mm-hmm. it may not be as pungent or intense as, as the, the big ones, but it's it's plenty good. So it seems what was going on early on when uh, these were coming onto the market decade, 15 years ago or so, um, was they were just being harvested incorrectly. But what was going on was they would take, because the Chinese black ones, the Himalayan black ones, mm-hmm. look a lot like the French black ones. Okay. So you could get away with like a 70-30 mix of yep. 70 French, 30 Himalayan. Mm. You're and if you... Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're stepping on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's it was crazy, and so yeah, people were getting duped, um, all kinds of stuff. There's a guy in France. I'm sure multiple people did this, but um, I saw one guy. He was importing the Himalayan truffles into France, pack- packaging them in France, and then guess what? He gets to put on the label, made in France. Oh man. Um, Sixty Minutes called him out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't having any of it. So when the when the guy in New York is selling, is he packaging and branding his stuff, or is he just like, here's a unlabeled sack of truffles, or whatever, however many you're buying? Uh, it was just a he was take he had the cardboard boxes, the shipments, uh, yeah. and it was just he had a scale, and yep. here's a here's a sack of truffles. Yeah, sounds well, like drug like. 
most of the time yeah dude it really is <laughs> and most of the time they're walking away with like handfuls you know because yeah. a big handful of truffles that's really expensive and if you have good truffles i mean that's getting people into your restaurant i guess right people pay for that. yeah and you also need them to come in because those truffles you bought are only going to be good for right 10 days or so Another oh, wow. thing that happens is if you own private land, you got to be on the lookout f- for people coming onto your land at night. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I may be trying to take your dog out, but also just straight up stealing the truffles. Um, there have been deaths in that sort of thing, like mm-hmm. people people shooting other people that are stealing their truffles. Self-defense. Um, that's also a problem because the poachers, if they pick them at the wrong time and if they pick them aggressively because mm. of they're in a hurry apparently you can actually damage the tree such that that one will or you can damage the area such that it, that area will stop you know that couple of square feet will stop producing truffles oh man these things are delicate they've also there's been some cheaper uh the cheaper gray summer ones uh mm-hmm. have been dyed and tried to have been passed off as the fancy ones yeah, when something is that sought after and expensive, I mean, people will go to great lengths to rip it off or fake it or, you know, try to get around it somehow. So it's not too surprising. I mean, the methods themselves are surprising, but um, just that, that attitude, I guess. One of the biggest ones, I, the the size of the crop, and obviously we said it already, but that shocked me. 2,000 tons down to 30. That's crazy. That is a lot. That really seems drastic. And I'm going, I'm going with the middle estimate there. I saw as little as 20 tons per year. When, what year was the 2000 figure from? Like 1901. Oh wow. Okay. Dang. So are the dogs just as effective as the pigs? They're more effective. They're more effective. Well, yeah. okay, at finding them, I realize the dogs aren't eating them necessarily, so your yield is higher. But I, th- I think will they're a dog just... find just as easily as pigs. I believe so. Yes, yeah, I, I didn't okay. find anything that stated that the pigs. It seems like the pigs are out. <laughs> <laughs> they, they've they've been replaced. <laughs> Those poor pigs. They had a job. Yeah. Yeah. Pigs well, are, they pigs they're... are jobs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. It's just so I'm. Just anecdotally, I guess, just watching videos and, and reading articles, you know, it's amazing. People feel so strongly about the truffles. There's a whole website for the American cultivation effort. Um, yeah, it's a, uh, and people are freaking out. There's establishments and, you know. Yeah, and people are freaking groups. out because of the, the reduction in production. Say that 10 times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, I guess, where do I go? Where do I have to go to experience this? Um, I don't know. I'll find a place, I guess. Yeah, so, I'm going to, I'm probably going to do a little bit now that, you know, because I only thought of the topic. I only picked the one that I wanted to do, you know, a couple days ago, right? Yeah. So, I didn't have too much time to to search out, but I am going to keep searching. I think we both should, because it definitely seems like we should report back. I mean, if something is so... If a food that uh, grows out of the ground like this is so sought after, sought after, excuse me, and expensive, I mean, I feel like you should just give in and try it before it's gone. 
I was going to look up the current market price of. Well, so, okay, we are in. We are out of season for both of the winter truffles. So. Oh, darn. Yeah, so that's the other thing is if we if you and I wanted to try, we could get a hold of Italian summer ones, and those would definitely be a good choice. Mm-hmm. But that's the other thing is unless you go for like an oil or something that's been yeah. processed, we so couldn't when are, even. So when are the so the white truffles are the most desirable? Yeah, January through like March, kind of, maybe December through February, hmm. in that range. Um, in France or Italy. Well, and we could order, I think we can order them online at that point, but we're going to pay a ton. Like to make it worth ordering, you know, you have to buy like a golf ball probably. Yeah. The golf ball is going to be like 500 bucks. Fuck. (laughs) I can't do that. (laughs) So I think we have to go to a restaurant and pay 500 bucks for a a bowl of pasta. You want to split one truffle? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'd rather just pay for it, I think, because... Okay, so right now, just depending on time of year and all that, about six thousand to ten thousand uh, dollars per pound. Whoa, that's way more than I was expecting. Yeah, so seven dollars a gram. That video must have been from like twenty twelve or something. Yeah, yeah, that's intense. That's for the that's for the the absolute top top. The white ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'll settle could... for black ones if it's like <laughs> a little less expensive, I guess. There it is. It is. I think uh, $2,500 a pound looks to be around Holy shit! what we can do for the black ones. Do I go on vacation this year or do I buy a truffle? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I guess that's why it's a rich person thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, things that this other, you know, this guy, this New York guy, he sold caviar, he sold truffles, he sold all that kind of fancy Special, salt. Specialty foods. Yeah. So yeah, truffles. Cool. There you go. They're yeah, wild. Yeah, I knew nothing. So that's that's really intense. I, I yeah, I can't think of anything that's like comparable to that in terms of food. You no, know, that's... No, yeah, we could have been talking about gold bars. You know, like right? people are cutting stuff to make it look like gold people are robbing other people of their gold mm-hmm. <laughs> you know nope we're talking about a little black golf ball sized fungus that grows under your tree yep. in your yard let me see if I've and there's dogs that. involved and there's dogs yeah <laughs> yeah like the, the i guess the last thing uh, there's a woman in one of the things i was watching um she was truffle hunting with her dog, but she's in fine Italian leather gloves, a beautiful <laughs> fur coat, you know, a beautiful fur coat. She's got yeah. perfect hair, and but she's out truffle hunting. I, I thought that was quite a. So my question for you is, um, when do we start? We should probably get into this, right? I, I would be lying if I said that thought did not cross my mind. Um, I think we could, I don't know. It seems like we don't even need any crazy type of dog. It looks like a beagle will do or various hounds, uh, <laughs> standard, <laughs> standard poodle gets it done. Well, if I buy uh, that farm, if we plant those trees and just buy be... some, uh, buy some spores, which is probably, you know, that's not... probably not how most people get into farming right away. <laughs> probably start a little easier. <laughs> 
Maybe with those potatoes. <laughs> but I'm down. I would like to try to grow a truffle. I wanted to say, too, um, I, I kind of fumbled the description of how they sell the uh, sort of the, the farming aspect of these truffles. Because you can buy, and I, I found at one point, and I don't think I, I didn't copy it down, it looks like. Because they definitely, like, they process and they take, like, a cutting, I think it is, from the, the other trees that are proven to grow. And I think that's how they do it. I'm, I'm angry that I did not uh, capture that properly. Because the whole farming thing, it's kind of like, you know how uh, apple trees work? There's, you have to graft a, a branch from an apple oh, tree yeah. and start yeah. it onto a different tree. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's something similar to that. Which makes okay. it all the more expensive and difficult. Right, right. But yeah, let's. I'm, I'm down to farm truffles. And if we do it that way, we don't even really need a dog because if we just theoretically know where they are, right? Right, right. Well, but if a dog can really pinpoint you, you probably don't want to disturb. That's true. The rest of the ground, right? Well, and actually, part of the whole deal is uh, actually we do need the dog because. If we pick them too early or too late, we're screwed. And the dog knows, or you train the dog to know what a ripe truffle smells like. Yeah. So it looks like, I don't know how accurate this map is, but I'm looking at a map that supposedly is telling me the suitable areas in the U.S. for truffles growing or hunting. Um, I don't know if this means that there are truffles in these areas or if the climate is just such that you could do it. I do not believe we have a native truffle species. Okay. Well, it looks like all of the West Coast. Um, Shit. Colorado's along the mountains, right where okay. you are. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Arizona oh, yeah. and Nevada below that. The, the flyover states are kind of out a little bit. Like, there's nothing happening it's in the Dakota. Too dry, and, too dry, probably. Yeah. But then once you start getting to the south, like... Uh, what state is this? I can't even see. There's so many truffle marks. Tennessee and uh, North Carolina are like. Oh yeah, I'm looking. Yeah. I think you're looking at the map on Kentucky. americantruffle.com. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. New York is out of the picture. It's too yeah, far north. So is Michigan. Yep. Not happening. Guess not. Not there. It's it's a tough business though because I would imagine uh, you you are not going to be able to command the same price for a North Carolina truffle, oh, probably not. even even if it's the same species as the Perigord from France. No. You you can't. And you're you're talking about people who are already seemingly have enough money to splurge for something like this. They're going to want the best of the best, right? Y- yep. Yeah. I'm going to spend money for these truffles. I want the real deal. Cool. Any other questions on truffle? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah, wow. I'm looking at Colorado. That's funny. Um, all right, yeah, now we're just vamping. All right, cool. Well, thanks for listening to everybody. Yeah, hope you hope learned some new stuff about food this week. Yeah. Kind of interesting. We both randomly chose food topics. As, as soon as you said cereal, I had the transition. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, that one looked found, too difficult. Found that berry center quite quickly. Alright, everybody, All right. thanks for listening. Catch you next week. Yep. Yeah.